Okay, so we are continuing this morning in the series in the book of Colossians. So we come to Colossians chapter 2. So please turn with me in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. It can be found on page 984 in the Pew Bible. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now this summer, my wife Pam and I will have been married for 12 years. And so it's not that long ago I remember what it was like before we were married, when I lived on my own. Going where I wanted, doing what I wanted, whenever I wanted to. But marriage brings about significant changes in your life. Living with my wife now, if I don't come home right after work, there's someone there to notice. All of a sudden, it matters to someone other than me how I spend my time, how clean I am around the house, how I spend my money. Every decision you make in a marriage affects your spouse. Because marriage is not simply a relationship between two people. Marriage is a union where two people become one flesh. When God created humanity, it was written in Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In a marriage union, there's a change in who you are. You're not only committed to this person in a way that every decision you make affects them, but you are united to them. There is a spiritual union that takes place, and this changes both who you are and your relationship to each other. A few years ago, the Pew Research Center did a study comparing married couples with couples who lived together and were unmarried, and the study showed that Married couples had a better relationship than cohabiting unmarried couples in every category. Married couples were more likely to be faithful to each other. They were more likely to act in the best interest of their partner. They were more likely to always tell the truth, to handle money more responsibly. And they were more satisfied. 
they're more satisfied with their spouse's approach to parenting, with the way the household chores were divided, with the work-life balance of their partner, and they're more satisfied with communication. In every area, the married couples were doing better. Because marriage is a union that changes your relationship. It changes every aspect of your life. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is reminding the Colossian church of another union. The union of a believer with Christ. Theologian Louis Burkhoff defines this union with Christ as that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength, of their blessedness and salvation. Everyone who has a true faith in Jesus Christ is united with him. This means that Christ is in us and we are in him. And the union of Christ and his people is significant not only for our theology, but for how we live our lives. Because being united to Christ changes everything. Now, there are several aspects to the union between believers and Christ, but this morning we'll look at three from our passage. First, being united to Christ means there is a change in how you live your life. Second, being united to Christ means you have nothing to fear. And third, being united to Christ means that you receive all the saving blessings of God. The Colossian church seem to have been influenced by a false teaching. It was this merging of Jewish ritual and paganism that was encouraging them to seek a higher level of spirituality through visions and rituals and denying themselves things such as food and drink. And this was undermining the gospel declaration, the declaration of the full deity and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And last week, uh, Pastor Tim preached on Colossians 1, and this contains the famous Christ hymn, where Paul declares the supremacy of Christ in creation, and through his death and resurrection, the supremacy of Christ in new creation. Then at the end of chapter 1, Paul tells the Colossians of his suffering for their sake. Although Paul didn't start the Colossian church, and he probably never met them, he says that he suffers on their behalf proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, with his stated goal of presenting everyone mature in Christ. And so it's through the wisdom and knowledge that is Christ and maturity of their faith that the Colossians will defeat this or combat this heresy. So then in our passage begins in verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There are many that believe that this is the thesis statement of the whole letter. Paul had just mentioned his desire for the Colossians to become complete in Christ. And so saying, therefore, means, uh, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so they are to walk in him. Now, there are two aspects to receiving Christ Jesus the Lord that Paul's referring to here. The first is receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord. Paul knows that they have come to know that Jesus is the Christ or that he is the Messiah. They have also come to submit to him as their Lord. And this is crucial. It's the foundation for being a Christian. If Jesus is your Savior, then he is your Lord. Billy Graham put it well once when he said, No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. 
He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. Now, Paul says this about the Colossians confidently, knowing that they have received Christ Jesus the Lord. But this saying has another idea. It is the idea of receiving the Christian tradition that has been delivered to them. Paul concludes that because the Colossians have received Jesus as the Messiah and their personal Lord, because they have received the apostolic tradition of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, so walk in him. Now, Scripture often speaks of the Christian life in terms of walking. It's a metaphor for how you're living your life. And so Paul says it's by the same faith that they have in Jesus Christ the Lord that the Colossians are to be living in him or in Christ. But there's obstacles for their Christian faith. There's a false teaching that's come into the church. And Paul says that the solution is to walk in Jesus Christ as they've received as Lord. To walk in this true gospel they've received. And notice the language, walk in him. That is, walk in Christ. Paul uses this in him or in Christ language all throughout his letters. It's referring to the believer's union with Christ. And that's our first point for this morning. Being united to Christ means there's a change in how you live your life. The union between believers and Christ changes who you are. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you're united to Christ, you've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. You've become a new creation, and everything about you will change as a consequence. There's an immediate change, and then there's the gradual change over time. But every aspect of your life will be changed as time goes on. When you've submitted to Christ as your Lord, you will live under His authority. To walk in Christ means to live under the controlling influence of Jesus Christ. That's the way you're living your life will match who He is and everything that you've been taught about Him. So this is an imperative to all of us. Walk in Christ. Live your life in response to receiving Him as Lord, to the teachings of Him and the teachings about Him in Scripture. And Paul says that you're going to do that by being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Paul's saying that it's by holding to sound doctrine that you've been taught and living according to that is how you will walk in Christ. And and the terms orthodoxy and orthopraxy speak to this idea. Orthodoxy means right doctrine. It's the doctrine that correctly holds the scripture and the apostolic tradition they've been taught. Orthopraxy means right living. It's living your life in accordance to these orthodox Christian teachings you've learned. And Paul says this should result in thanksgiving because God is the source of your faith. God is the source of your union with Christ. But he addresses this false teaching that, they, that was influencing them. In verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul's giving them a stark warning to be on the lookout for any teaching of philosophy 
that contradicts the apostolic tradition of Christ they've already received. He's saying don't be taken captive by a teaching or philosophy that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's warning tells us a few things about this dangerous and seductive philosophy they were dealing with. First, he says, it's deceptive. He refers to it as empty deceit. It was something that sounded great, but it was deceiving people. It lacked real substance. It wasn't the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It was something that would lead them away from that. It was also a human philosophy, a human tradition. The true teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ are from God. They're found in God's word. They come from his prophets and his apostles. But false doctrines originate with humans. Paul also says that they're according to the elemental spirits of the world. Here he's referring to demons, dark spirits. Anything that leads you to worship something other than the true Jesus Christ, even a false Christ, is demonic. And this philosophy can take you captive. Paul's saying, don't be enslaved by this. And this isn't just a problem for the first century. False doctrine that is deceptive, demonic, human tradition exists today. One contemporary example is the prosperity gospel. Name it and claim it theology. This is the idea that through faith, God will give you everything your heart desires. It teaches you can have anything you want if you believe. God will heal you if you believe. He'll give you the car you've always wanted. God will give you anything you want if you have enough faith. And just like the false teachings in the Colossian church, the prosperity gospel is deceptive. The teachers of this use biblical language. They quote Bible verses out of context. They claim to be Christians. But it's deceptive. And it's also of human origins. And it's demonic. It teaches people to use God as a tool for their own desires. It puts Jesus in the position of giving them everything they want. It leads people to worship themselves other than God. It doesn't put God or Jesus in their proper place of deserving our worship. It has people seeking health and wealth instead of Christ. To teach that Jesus is a means to something other than himself is to lead people away from the true Christ. And so Paul is teaching that our union with Christ will lead to a change in how we live our lives. Through our union with Christ, our desires will change. Our will will be conformed to his will. The more we grow in Christ, the more we will desire him. And conformity to Christ is our ultimate goal. And Christ is also the means to that goal. He's not the means to whatever our sinful heart desires. He's the path to God himself. Then Paul says in verses 9 and 10, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. We see more of this in him language here, in Christ. First Paul says, For in him, or in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In the Old Testament, God's holy presence on earth was in his temple. But now we see in the coming of Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells in him. Jesus is the true temple of God. God's presence is in Christ. And Paul was combating this heresy that was saying, by saying, believers are to walk or live their lives, not according to this deficient, empty human philosophy, but according to Christ. 
Because in him all the fullness of deity dwells. Christ is the real active presence of God in human bodily form. And the false teaching is empty because it doesn't bring believers to Christ. It was teaching them they needed something more than Christ. They were teaching that for protection against demons in evil spirits, they needed to do certain things. They needed to abstain from food and drink. They needed a higher level of spirituality and visions. But all things were created through Christ. That is everything that exists in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. That includes any dark spirits they were attempting to protect themselves from. And in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells. He is God's presence in the world, so all that we need is him. And Paul doesn't end there. He also says not only does the fullness of deity dwell in Christ, but you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. The false teachers were trying to convince them that they needed something more that they already had. Paul is saying, you're in Christ. That is, you're in union with Christ as believers. And in him, the fullness of deity dwells. He is the head of all rule and authority. Any attempt to find fulfillment in something other than Christ is worthless. It's Christ who is preeminent over all things. And he is supremely worthy of our worship. Any teaching that dilutes him or diminishes him must be denounced. Also, because of Christ's ultimate supremacy, he is also ultimately sufficient. Christ is all that you need. So if believers are united to him, we aren't lacking in any way. In Christ we find true wisdom, true worth. In Jesus Christ we have everything. In Christ we've been filled, therefore we do not need fulfillment anywhere else. We don't need to go beyond Christ to experience the presence of God. We don't need to fear any spiritual powers. And that's our second point for this morning. Being united to Christ means you have nothing to fear. The Colossians were seeking protection from dark spirits from something outside of Christ. And Paul is saying that you are united to Christ through faith in him. And the fullness of God dwells in him. He is the head, the head of the body, the head of the church. Through our spiritual union with Christ, we become a part of the body of Christ. And he is authority over everything. There's nothing to fear. Although Satan is real, demons are real, spiritual warfare is real. But we're united to Christ means we're united to the victor. We're united to the one who's defeated Satan, evil, sin, and death. And he will conquer them once and for all upon his return. Being united to Christ means we have nothing to fear because we are safe in him. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we are united to Christ for eternity, and there's nothing that can change that. And Paul continues, starting in verse 11, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Paul begins again in him, 
referencing our spiritual union with Christ. In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Paul's now explaining what uh, the union between believers in Christ means for us. And so he references circumcision, which we know God instituted physical circumcision to be the sign of the covenant between him and his people. But even in the Old Testament, it was used as a metaphor. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses speaks of the circumcision of the heart. Then in Romans, Paul argues that it's through the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, not physical circumcision, that marks someone as belonging to the people of God. And this is what Paul has in mind here. Circumcision made without hands means circumcision made by God. He explicitly refers to it as the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of the heart takes place through Christ conquering the power of sin and therefore putting off the sinful flesh. Believers are united to Christ and the old self, the sinful self, is put off. It's stripped off. The circumcision of the heart is accomplished through our union with Christ and this means our old self is put to death. And this brings us to our third point for this morning. Being united to Christ means that you receive all the saving blessings of God. Through our union with Christ that the circumcision of the heart takes place. Through our union with Christ that the old self, the sinful self, is put to death. The false teachers were telling the Colossians all these rules they needed to follow to subdue their sinful flesh. They had to abstain from food and drink and and follow certain religious rituals. But Paul is saying that putting off the body of flesh... The death to our old self, our old sinful self, is accomplished by our union in Christ. Circumcision of the heart is what you need, not following a list of rules. You need the old self to be put to death, and this comes from union with Christ. Now, there are rules to be followed, but following the rules isn't going to accomplish anything. Following the rules is our response to what God has already accomplished in Jesus Christ. And Paul continues with this line of thinking, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. In Christ, believers received the circumcision of the heart, and also in Christ they are buried with him in baptism, and also raised from the dead with him. Paul's emphasizing that through our union with Christ, a real death of the old self has taken place. The old sinful flesh is a thing of the past. Since we die with Christ, we are no longer serving sin. In the response of reading this morning from Romans 6, Paul was explaining the same point, that we are united to Christ in his death, we are united with him in his resurrection life, and that in the crucifixion of Jesus, the old self is put to death and we are freed from sin. That at the conclusion of this, he said, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Being united to Christ means that you receive all the saving blessings of God. And so we see the first one, Paul lists, the death of our old self, the freedom from the slavery of sin. But also with our union to Christ, we're brought to spiritual life through his resurrection. Paul says you were also raised with him. And clearly he's not referring to the future resurrection here. He's saying in the past tense, you were raised. It's referring to a resurrection that has already taken place. 
And so consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Being united with Christ means we actually partake in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a blessing of God. It is all of God's grace. And this should be on our minds daily. Our participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is completely the work of God. We can remember that we're dead to sin. That sin has no power over us. That through the Holy Spirit working in us now, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. We are alive to God in Jesus Christ. And this is something that can give us hope in any circumstances. Because Jesus, having been resurrected from the dead, will never die again. He has defeated death. So through all of our struggles in this broken world, all the difficulties we face, we can know that because of God's immense love and grace, our sinful selves have been put to death and we have been brought to spiritual life for eternity. And this is all God's gift. Then Paul says in verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We all begin spiritually dead. Not only has every one of us sinned, but we're conceived in sin. We're born in sin. We're sinners by nature and we're enslaved to it. And we can't bring ourselves to spiritual life. We can't circumcise our own hearts. But in his infinite wisdom, the unbelievable grace and mercy of God, we're made alive in Christ. And he did this by forgiving all of our trespasses. Being united to Christ means we receive all the saving blessings of God. It's a total package. You get them all through him. Being united to Christ means your old self, enslaved to sin, has been put to death. That you've been brought to new spiritual life. That your sins have been forgiven. God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. The record of debt that stands against us demands punishment. God's holy wrath is necessary because he is just. He can't simply ignore sin. He can't overlook it. And this record of debt must be paid. It must be paid with death. The legal demands are the wrath of God. And our guilt is tremendous. We've sinned every day our whole life. And the more you attempt to follow the laws of God, the more you understand the magnitude of your sin. But through our union with Christ, our sinful record was transferred to him. And he took the punishment we deserve. All of our sins, every single one of them, were nailed to the cross with him. As we sung in our opening hymn this morning, it is well with our soul, well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Being united to Christ means that the punishment for your sins were nailed to the cross with him, and you receive his righteousness before God. Being united to Christ means we receive all the saving blessings of God. But this faith union with this union with Christ is a faith union. It's by faith that we're united with Christ. Without faith in Jesus Christ, you're not united with him. 
Without faith in Jesus Christ, your sinful flesh lives on, meaning you're still enslaved to sin. Without faith in Jesus Christ, you're still dead in your sins, meaning you haven't been brought to spiritual life. Without faith, your sins were not punished on the cross, and you're still under the debt and the legal demands of your sins. So I ask you, if you have not come to be united with Christ through faith, look to him in faith. Trust in him for your salvation. Because we receive all the saving blessings of God through our faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find our fulfillment in him. If you are still dead in your sins, come to the one who offers you life. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, your sins are nailed to the cross. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to him. And in union with Christ, your life will be changed. In union with Christ, you have nothing to fear, and you receive all the saving blessings of God. Being united to Christ changes everything. In Jesus Christ, you have everything. Without him, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and eternal God, we humbly present ourselves before you. We come in the name of your Son, wholly trusting in his perfect righteousness. We put our trust in you. You alone are our rock and our salvation. We trust in your mercy forever. We will wait on you. Our hope is in you and your word. We praise you for our new life in Christ. We praise you for our protection in Christ and all the blessings of salvation we receive in him. We know we're not worthy of the least of your mercies or the blessings you have shown us. But in your grace you have given us your son and we will follow him wherever he leads. In the glorious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.